Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the soundtrack to a life. What we perceive as God is the byproduct of our search for God. And hello, welcome back to the Soundtrack to a Life. I am still Chris from earlier in the month. With me once again is Eric. Eric, say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. And Eric and I are here talking about Photomore's self-titled release from 2014. Eric, tell me about your relationship with this piece of music. How has this shaped your life? As far as small bands in Calgary go, Photomore was kind of one of my first forays into small venue local shows. And, you know, they released the first album for the show they performed at Terminus at Dickens, which is kind of a, an annual favorite of ours. And, I don't know, something about it. Like, it's a little two-piece act. It just uh, just really grabbed me. I think there's kind of a unique blend in their music. Uh, lyrically, it's clean and crisp. But Chris's contribution to the band is a lot harder, crunchy, noisy. Uh, it makes a nice dichotomy, you know, it just, uh, just always sat well with me. It's one of those albums that, you know, if you picked it up in a record store because you liked the cover art, you'd be surprised and delighted, I think. Which a band should surprise you under ideal circumstances. And I will admit, this record really comes out the gate in a really strong and effective way. The opening track, Elephant's Foot, is very punchy. It seizes your attention almost immediately and then holds it really expertly throughout. It's got like a really twitchy kind of vibe. Like the whole song is constantly on the verge of falling apart, which creates a really fascinating, like almost aphex twinny sense of tension underpinning what are really traditional and melodic songs. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's the tension that drew me the most, is that, you know, glitchy, trippy, like you say, so so close to breaking down musically and yet it carries on yeah they somehow manage to not push through like they really do by the end of each song it comes to feel almost effortless um a lot of which is the uh vocals the young woman singing what what, what is her name eve eve mm -hmm. uh, eve sounds really clean and clear and pure and really compelling as she sings over top of music that is constantly on the verge of breaking and then she elevates it while it brings her to a more relatable place. It's a really fascinating combination. Plus, just I'm a sucker for electronic beats and really emotive vocals every goddamn time. Yeah, which is, you know, like you say, vocally and lyrically, I felt like I was fairly honest. You know, there's a lot of themes about destruction in the natural world, things like that. But through it all, there's an emotional honesty in there that I think shines through. It absolutely does. And it's very of a piece with other acts that have been formatted in this way. Um, it feels like the next evolution of that style of Goldfrapp, Portishead, Bjork, Saint-Etienne, Eden, from when Liv demanded that I listen to Eden, kind of hard on your sleeve over top of music that is all production. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a fair assessment. You know, I think, uh, actually we saw 
another act of terminus a few years following a band called Seeming. They kind of handle similar themes, uh, environmental destruction and things like that, but um, what was missing was the, the personal hard on your sleeve aspect. So it became this kind of preachy, overwrought, I find it almost impossible to listen to the album, just because it's so bleak and there is no heart in it. Yeah, it's almost as though it were difficult, as there are fewer people in the room when the song's being written, to keep it from kind of veering off into a place where it's more of an intellectual exercise yeah. than an honest emotional statement. Yeah, and I, I think kind of the difference is, is seeming kind of comes off as a concept band about environmental issues, whereas this is more a metaphor album. Yeah, it feels like one. And I'm just a sucker for uh, electronic duos. What is the uh, What is the best electronic music duo, in your opinion? Best electronic music duo, in my opinion? I would say... I mean, Daft Punk's got to be up there. Daft Punk is definitely up there. They've got to be up there. But at the same time, they're competing with Pet Shop Boys. They're competing with Eurythmics. Yes. Yes. They're competing with Erasure. I, like, there's, there's a lot of one person sings and the other one hunches behind a piece of technology. And yet the whole room feels very full. It's one of the main types of music that I listen to, probably. I've been to a few shows on occasion where they hire uh, additional players. Combi Christ Show, for example, is oh, yeah? a two-piece in the studio, a mm. four-piece on the road. They have ornamental drumming and hype man, I want to say, a bez, you if you will. <laughs> Put a fucking hype man into your band. Yeah, get a bez. Yeah. What if fully 75% of Prodigy on those first two <laughs> records were bez? It works. <laughs> you need a hype man. Well, I mean, if you're going <laughs> to crouch behind a wall of computers and synths, you kind of do. <laughs> yeah. A bunch of people have paid a bunch of money to come see you perform. At least get some knob with an egg shaker out there in front. That sounds great. Who's only around because he's your drug hookup. <laughs> and now he's famous. <laughs> Well-meaning. <laughs> egg shaker drug hookup seems fine. Otherwise, where would your band get drugs? In the Happy Mondays case, maybe it would be for the best that they didn't. From Tony Wilson or Jamaica. I guess, yeah, yeah, or New Order. Why would you fly both of your main bands to Ibiza in the late 80s? <laughs> well, Just, hindsight's twenty twenty. Tony Wilson is so good at picking 80s bands <laughs> who are going to obviously be big, and so bad at every other part of running a record label. Oh. His entire fucking life. Have you read his book? <laughs> no, but I'd love to. I'll hand it to you on the way out the door. It is a fascinating look at a bizarre time in music history. I do love 24-hour party people. It is probably my favorite film. Yeah, I have the book upon which that is based, and I also have Peter Hook's book about running the Hacienda into the ground. <laughs> okay, that also sounds awesome. Yeah. I, I only just learned this week about electronic... The which, band? Yes. <laughs> good? Yeah. By which I mean they're yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Which is, of course, Bernard Sumner from New Order. And, and Johnny, Johnny Marr from The Smiths. From doing whatever the fuck he wants because he's <laughs> in The Smiths. Yeah. He's like second to Dave Grohl for being in every band. Yeah. He'll just If he likes your record, he'll just show up and play on your next record. Yeah. You like Modest Rose? with you and fuck off. You like Johnny Marr. Yeah. Electronic is not as good as that combination of people imply that it should be. 
Yes. To me. <laughs> They're not as good as Erasure. I'm sorry. Say it. No. It's the truth. Yeah. It's Bernard Sumner from New Order and Johnny Marr in the early 90s where both of those people are at the peak of their powers. And here is what that sounds like. And you listen to it and it's good. If it were by two people who I had never heard of until that moment. <laughs> exactly accurate. I would have been very satisfied with it. And yet. <laughs> I, I was missing Johnny Marr. I think that's... That's my complaint. When you when you listen to Call a Comet or The Messenger, you get Johnny. Yeah, that's what you wanted from him this whole time. <laughs> when he was in Electronic. When he was in Electronic. When he was in The The. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he was in Modest Mouse. When he was in The Cribs. Don't get me wrong, I have all of these records. Who's <laughs> not going to buy Johnny I Marr have... albums? Who played guitar better than Johnny Marr in the 80s? Prince? I mean, it's a find, short Find it's a, a short third list. person. <laughs> yeah, it's a short list. Nobody gives Prince enough credit as a dude who could wail on the guitar like nobody else. I was at the Prince show in Calgary like two years before he passed. Oh, yeah. And while it turned into a party medley, but I mean, what are you going to do? But he can wail on a guitar. It was incredible. Shortly after his uh, passing, his gentleman came forward. Uh, you know that move that Prince does where he finishes guitar solo and then just tosses the guitar out into the crowd? The dude came forward whose job it was to catch Prince's guitar. <laughs> to verify that if somebody in the front row got the guitar before he could, <laughs> well, that's just not Prince's guitar anymore. <laughs> You're taking that home and well done, sir. <laughs> you own a Prince guitar. I mean, I think that tells you how dedicated this guy is to getting to that guitar first. Yeah, he absolutely. But I mean, Prince apparently lost a couple of guitars a year that way. He's, he's like and he the, considered it a small price to pay to look cool as fuck coming out of a guitar solo. He's like the 40-year-old dowager at a wedding. <laughs> he's getting to that garden. That's 100%. But yeah, no, Electronic were also a quite a good iconic synth duo. Yeah, totally listenable. Yeah. Are they fantastic? Yeah, yeah they're good, know. though. They're good. They're definitely. They were doing a job, and they were doing a job during a period where the job was not getting done with the same frequency. Like Erasure were doing guitar music, Soft Cell were gone for years, both of the Eurythmics had gone on to wildly different solo careers. I can really only imagine the conversations about frontmen that Bernard Sumner and Johnny Marr might have had. You know, Bernard Sumner's like, hey, well, you know, our guy offed himself the night before the American tour, so we never got to be Joy Division. We had to go and be New Order and sing songs about how that sucked. And then Johnny Marr's got to come back with, like, yeah, I, I got a phone call that the Smiths were over, and I was I, fired. I literally had to work with Morrissey for four years. Yeah, and now I have to hear from this guy, or, or about this guy, every damn day. And everybody wants to know when we're getting back together. At least with Ian, there's no questions about that. That's true. I mean, you're free. <laughs> That's it. You're free. <laughs> you're free. And look what they did with it. It was yeah. great. <laughs> we're going to come back. His girlfriend's going to join the band. Oh, nice. Female singer. No, she's going to play synth. Does she know how to play synth? No, but she'll have learned by the time we get back from this tour. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. We haven't helped down. We're doing a shit ton of drugs. <laughs> we make dance music now. <laughs> you signed a contract that let us have total artistic freedom. Totally. So you can't stop any of these decisions, Tony. Hey, Johnny, when are you and uh, Ma's getting back together? It's never happening. But yeah. everybody asks. Yep. Every damn day. Every day. For the rest of your life. And that will continue happening. People would like to see them get back together, even though reasonably they should not. It will not happen. No. Well, I mean, first of all, Johnny would be very unhappy. Yes. And as someone who's made a lot of art that has meant a lot to me, I would like for him to find happiness in his life. I mean, and as a follow-up, I don't think Morrissey could be in a 
band. No. Now, no. he needs employees rather than partners. Yeah, yeah, fair. And I think that was true back in the day, too. I think that's, that's where that came from. Yeah, almost certainly. I will point out, I was enjoying this record quite well, taking it back to Florida Moore. But what really made me love it was the song Ice Nine, because I am definitely a suburban white dude of the appropriate age where naming one of your songs after a Kurt Vonnegut quote <laughs> hits me right in the I get that reference ego. You got the badge. <laughs> That's a hundred percent. It's so true. I mean, there is. There's, there's little uh, otaku breadcrumbs throughout. Yep. Elephant's Foot, for example, actually refers to the melted stump of Reactor Core 3 at Chernobyl. One? Yeah. Three? Which one melted? Anyway, that one. Perfect. <laughs> it's called the Elephant's Foot. That's what we're talking about. Perfect. Uh, Dowager's about whale falls. I'm not sure if you know about that, but a whale carcass falls to the bottom of the sea and all kinds of tube worms and whatnot consume that carcass. And that's pretty much their day. That's a beautiful and evocative metaphor. <laughs> that songwriting <laughs> had needed and indeed was crying out for. <laughs> yeah, this feels like this feels like a band that plays terminus style festivals and gets played on later night college radio or very specific music podcasts. Like, this band was made for Communion After Dark. This band feels like a band that I hope does not want to cross over to a larger, more mainstream audience, because this is a band who feels too specific to cross over to a larger, more mainstream audience. I think musically what they're doing is too clever. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that you can really get away with now, in a way that you couldn't, even as little as 10 years ago, where you go so hyper-specific and then carve off a small but desperately passionate audience. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail right on the head, is does it have pop appeal? It's not Taylor Swift. No, the songs are very beautiful and very haunting, but they will not be going on the radio in between Cardi B and Maroon 5. That, I will say, is true. Now, I spend a lot of time on the road for my job, and uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll throw music in a playlist or, or on a USB stick in the truck or whatever. And uh, and I will say this for it. It does sit well within a particular genre of music. You know, it, it sits alongside Susie and the Banshees. It sits alongside The Cure. The usual suspect, I guess. But uh, it fits. It doesn't feel out of place, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I'll buy it. Like, I referenced, like, a gold wrap or a porter's mm -hmm, head. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, porter's head. All day long. Earlier. They're definitely within that kind of haunting vocals cutting above. If Yeah, if you loved porter's head third, this would be a good album for you. I'll buy that. I'll yeah. buy that. I look forward to porter's head fourth. I feel once in a generation a porter's head album comes along. Period. Period. <laughs> <laughs> like, people ride tools ass. About how long it takes them to get an album out? Okay, first uh, of all, Portishead. their first two records came out on a normal schedule, <laughs> and I assume that they broke up and then got back together and then broke up again. So maybe the impetus is on us to pressure Portishead to put out the fourth album that I would definitely listen to about a dozen times. I I'm still waiting on the new Smiths album, too. That will never happen. <laughs>
Sometimes the thing just ain't meant to happen. But if we could have another porter set, that would be swell. See, I feel like uh, there were also like films tied to these porter set albums. Yeah. Right? Where they were like in the soundtrack, they were good films. Every Portishead song is a James Bond theme from a movie that yes, never got made. Exactly. Like that was I forget what James Bond theme. I think it was oh, it might have been the Madonna one. When I heard it the first time, I went, Do you know what would be a better Bond theme than this? Every Portishead song. That's just so pick true. one at random and you would already have a Bond theme. You know, I, I, I wonder if somewhere somebody's keeping a list of how many movie trailers are cut to particular songs. Because, like, you see the same ones over and over and over. Yep. And and Portishead is that song. Now, that being said, Photo 4, to me, sounds like decent movie music. I could see that. I could see them scoring... Something David Fincher-ish, perhaps? Yeah. Where Something. the narrator is not reliable. Mm-hmm. Or possibly was dead the whole time. National Hotel, for example. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a good sideline for electronic musicians. That's why other industrial musicians laugh at Marilyn Manson, a man who does not have an Oscar, in the same way that both Trent Reznor and Clint Boone of <laughs> Pop Will Eat Itself do now. Are you from an early 90s industrial <laughs> band? In that case, not having an Oscar is a little embarrassing for you. I, I just want to point out that half of Oingo Boingo wrote half of the music that you love in films. So... Enjoy that one. <laughs> I'll be honest, I would give up those soundtracks <laughs> for another two Oingo Boingo records and to have seen them live. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Speaking of Ghostbusters 2, Oingo Boingo is squarely on that soundtrack. Are they? They totally are. That's... The soundtrack was the best thing about that movie. What about the I... Dancing Statue of I... Liberty? I had it on a cassette tape. I feel like the whole thing really predicted the Trump years. Hit me. <laughs> I'm here for this. I want some deeper cultural commentary about 2018 that you gleaned from Ghostbusters 2. I mean, we blasted pink, emotionally sensitive slime all over the Statue of Liberty and made it walk through town. Now that is the kind of circus that I feel like we are living in day by day. Right? And then there would be think piece writers going on CNN going, The Statue of Liberty walking through the center of downtown <laughs> like a 30 story tall living thing is a distraction don't fall for it <laughs> it's vigo the slime is under the building when will we learn the slime was within us actually all along vigo looks quite a bit like vladimir putin and both of those names start with v think uh, about it all right all right i'll take it ghostbusters 2 prescient look at the 21st century <laughs> It's going to be my PhD. Or, or a garbage movie. <laughs> or garbage movie. Made under contractual obligation. If you really want to have a, an afternoon on a Sunday that makes you want to fling yourself out a window, maybe start with Ghostbusters 2 and wrap up with Highlander 2. Oh, man. Those are not... Highlander 2... It's rough. If those were my only options <laughs> for unsuccessful sequels to blockbuster films, I think I would go with Highlander 2. Because it, at least is batshit insane. <laughs> right, whereas Ghostbusters 2 is just sad. Yeah, it really it does, hearkening back to two weeks ago, it really does hit on the bad versus boring mm. debate. Mm. 
Yes. Like, would you like a movie that is competently made with a plot that you can understand? Or Islander ghosts of flying skateboard punks on Mars. That's the one. That's what I want. <laughs> Take that one. But that said, if we're opening it up to any unsuccessful part two, yes. it will be Gremlins 2. Oh, Gremlins 2. When I was a kid, that was my favorite one because the Gremlins were, like, weirder. That was the best one. Like, that movie was... I'm given to understand that it took so long between the two because the director didn't want to do it. And then when they finally offered him all of the money and let him do whatever he wanted, his goal was to make Gremlins 3 impossible by just burning the whole franchise down. And I loved it. And I rewatched it. Recently, I have it on DVD. I'll probably be watching it on Wednesday for Halloween. <laughs> and how did it stand up? It held the fuck up. It is such a good movie. I, when the gentleman who played Billy from Gremlins 2 was in town for Horicon, waited in line to get him his autograph and thank him for making Gremlins 2 the best movie ever. And he seemed genuinely taken aback. And people, if you have the opportunity to meet one of the cast members from Gremlins 2, tell them that Gremlins 2 was a classic <laughs> and it is we, the world, who were wrong. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> we failed him. I feel like it was early days for DNA. It maybe didn't operate based on a paper shredder? No, it did. <laughs> if, if memory serves. Here's the thing about science. <laughs> DNA in the late 80s. <laughs> Computers in the mid-90s. Oh, he's a hacker. <laughs> uh, magnetism and anything X-Men related. Right. These things are magic, and they will do what the plot requires. And I need to see a gremlin singing a Sinatra song <laughs> and another that is made of electricity because his DNA was changed to the DNA of electricity. Yes. Yes. I uh, I once had a child with electricity, but it did not turn out well. Oof. Yeah. I would imagine not. DNA just doesn't match. That's a shame. I'll talk about Gremlins 2 for 100 years. The scene in the film where Gremlins stop the movie Gremlins 2 from playing, if you recall, they redid for every version that existed uh, when it came out. If you saw it in the theaters, they were up in the booth fucking with the film. If you saw it on VHS, they were inside of your VHS player <laughs> fucking with the VHS tape. If you were watching the DVD, presumably they somehow broke into your home and sabotaged your DVD player. If you were reading the novelization, <laughs> the uh, intelligent Kremlin broke into the author of the novelization's <laughs> study and chased him out. Was it on Laserdisc? I probably. I, I feel like I did not own a Laserdisc player. So I feel like there's a collector's market. I would hope that eventually somebody got their hands on some Gremlins puppets <laughs> and reshot that scene such that Gremlins were sabotaging YouTube. <laughs> God, that movie was weird. Anyway, this is not the kind of movie Photo 4 should be doing the soundtrack to. This is a bad example. No, that's true. It should be dark, gritty. Yeah, maybe about a spy movie? Maybe a private investigator that can hear the dead, but he's really bad at being a PI. Stop spoiling my dad <laughs> You have the power to edit. Yeah, I, I could definitely see them um, some kind of spy movie, some kind of cyber something movie. So here's a question I have for you. Yeah, hit me. About the album. Yeah. If you had to genreize this album, where do you put it? I mean, 
I mean, this is an electronic duo. This is of a piece with the bands that I've mentioned leading up to this. This is in 2018, similar to like an Eden. This is very much in the tradition of a Saint Etienne, but with the instrumentation updated, or an Aphex Twin, but with vocals that are comprehensible. This is wedding some of the glitchy, more cerebral electronic music from the early 2000s with the kind of auteur-driven, cinematic, synth duo things that were happening in the early mid-90s. And then coming out of it with something new. So we had Glitch Hop? Yeah. Sure. Is that, is that where? That seems great. Right? Yeah. This, like, this is definitely a band that you could see opening for a tricky uh, if he went on the road again. He is on the road again. I can't go. It's all through the States. So sad. He's opening for a early 2000s guitar punk act that Chelsea likes a lot. But the opening act's tricky. And also, either of us will go to a show that the other one says so on their say-so without asking too many questions. So, that's love. <laughs> if they were coming to this town, I'll have to game Spotify or something to make Tricky seem like he's a much bigger deal in Calgary specifically than he is. That sounds like something that a hacker or perhaps a DNA lab could help us with. Yeah, but my, um, but my glasses aren't circular or wire-rimmed enough, and my tips are decidedly unfrosted. So you can tell that I am not a hacker. I believe the new one is uh, the dark web. Perhaps we can use the dark web Ooh. to help us game Spotify. I am so surprised <laughs> that Spider-Man hasn't fought the dark web. The dark web? <laughs> Evil dark websters. Granted, that would suck. <laughs> he got doxxed. But like, oh no, that is what they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he fights the dark web. The dark web just casually. He's Peter Parker. <laughs> He's yeah. What? Uh, here's his <laughs> Facebook page. Here's his home address. This is his Aunt May. That is actually literally mm-hmm. what happened to Spider Man. It just took fifty years to get there. These days, it's just a week. Then the Green Goblin knows where you live, right? And Doctor Octopus is trying to marry your aunt just to get back at you. Um. <laughs> Unrelated reasons, weirdly <laughs> enough. <laughs> Go back and read that story. She was, she was on Plenty of Fish. <laughs> uh, she owns a uranium mine uh. at the time. Also, you know, they're both people in their 50s who find themselves single. Are you sure they're not octogenarian? Oh! Etc. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Octopus is my favorite comic book villain with a PhD because he looks like... A guy with a PhD. What a human being who had earned a PhD and built mechanical spider arms to wear would look like. <laughs> I like how they steadfastly refuse to make him needlessly jacked. He is a middle-aged dude who had been working as a scientist until about a year ago. As opposed to, Tony Stark is a brilliant engineer and he's super yoked. Yeah, but why? Why would he be that yoked? <laughs> No reason. Why does your Iron Man suit have abs? And also, if your Iron Man suit has abs, why do you have abs? <laughs> you don't need them. You got them on your Iron Man suit. <laughs> now I want an Iron Man suit. Right? <laughs> I think we've always wanted an Iron Man suit, but we can't all have Iron Man suits. Tony Stark can have an Iron Man suit. And whoever he gives one to. Can, can I just take this moment to ask Photo 4 if they would maybe cover Iron Man? Oh, the uh, Sabbath song? Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like that would be... Yeah. They're, that uh, could be pretty good. Their Foo Fighters cover, 
when we saw them earlier tonight, we are recording this immediately after a photo for a show, by the way, was really fun, and I would happily listen to just a set of covers by them as well. Now they, I think that their original songs are delightful songs that I enjoy listening to very much. I also would, as a breather, have them just do a set of, for example, Bangles tunes. Apparently there is a uh, Walk Like an Egyptian that might be on their SoundCloud. Nice. So take a, take a, a trip over mm-hmm. there. Mental note to look into it. That's where they put their new stuff. They're, uh, they're quite resolutely not on streaming music services. The only place the album is available, if you if you go into Recordland or, or pretty much anywhere else, is from the band at the show mm. to this day. So, um, Did you just suggest that I might have gone into Recordland <laughs> looking for these guys? Hey, guys. There's no such place. There's no such place as that. No. <laughs> totally. Well, I should have stopped their record at their show on our way out the door. It comes as a bracelet with a USB drive. Oh, as the fun. Clasp. That's which fun. Which is fun. Uh, it's nice because if you buy it at a show, you know, you just put it on your wrist and then you're done. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Which is uh, much easier than buying vinyl at a show. Yeah. Or here's your download code that I'm going to put in my sweaty pocket. I'm definitely going to forget. Guess what? When I get home, no download code. Whatever. I'm mostly here to let artists eat food. And while we're on that subject, let artists eat food. Yeah, you should pay for me then. Go see your local acts buy their stuff like they'll stand there and play to a room with 25 people in it for the love of doing it yeah they love making weird glitchy electronic pop music yeah i'll tell you who doesn't love playing how soon is now johnny marr i mean he seems to i'm sure it's fine but it's his job yes that's a hundred percent i'm so mad that i had to miss johnny marr he apparently has a very crowd-pleasing set list He's, he's coming back. He's coming back. Is he coming back? I don't know why. But, I mean, he played Grey Eagle before. He's got to come back. Some yeah. of these bands are one time in Like Nick Cave. I, I'm never going to see Nick Cave in this town again. Yep. The, uh, Johnny Marr definitely did Vancouver, Portland, Seattle as the West Coast leg of the tour. If Johnny Marr is listening. Which he is not. He could be. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Just come, come back to Calgary. Please. That'd be great. Please. See, this is why we need music venue-specific tax relief. <laughs> Yes. On a civic level. Yes. Mayor Nancy, <laughs> this is what you should be spending. <laughs> if you do only one thing. As someone who doesn't care about sports enough to have an opinion on the Olympics, <laughs> spend the money on this instead. I mean, while we're on the subject. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely do. The, the thing leading up to the Olympics is there is a four-year cultural Olympiad that actually benefits local musicians quite a bit. Yeah. Which is, you know, good for local musicians. And these, these are our friends and our daughters and whatnot. So get out there. These are the people that we go to see on a random Thursday. Yes. Because someone tipped you to it and you have no other plans. So before Photo 4, uh, Chris McEwen was in a different electronic duo, which for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of. But I first saw them opening for Blix of Bargeld when he was in town, which was also a delightful show. Chris has chops. Dude's got chops. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I mean, he sounded great tonight. He sounds great on the record. Yeah. Like, this is the kind of band... Do they tour or do they remain local? Like, is this a local phenomenon? I believe tonight may have been their fifth show. Whatever. Ever. And as somebody pointed out to me tonight, that's if you're counting shows at Lord Nelson's, which apparently some people do not. So their fifth show... 
I believe this is the fifth show. And this Evar. this record came out four years ago. Yes, solid. <laughs> so that that tells you this right. is this is a rare. So we're not. They're not going to be getting high profile. No. Good. Make art because you love it. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a uh, a local experience that I would recommend to anyone appearing in town on the rare date once a year that they play a show. Apparently, you may have to take our word for it. Four of <laughs> is very good. Their SoundCloud. Go on. Their SoundCloud. Yeah, you should go to their SoundCloud, you guys. They are a very fun group. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is absolutely going to be the least listened to pair of podcasts. <laughs> but I don't, to be honest, get paid anything to do this. So I'm not doing it for the people at home. <laughs> <laughs> the local Calgary edition. I mean, you had to know it was going to be an exclusive engagement. You know, I always wonder when we're at these shows where there's like, you know, 20, 25 people, 30 people in the audience. I always feel like one of these has to be Sex Pistols in Manchester in 77. Yeah. Right? Where just like everybody in the crowd immediately leaves there, returns Forms to their homes, and goes, fuck, I could make a band that's better than the Sex Pistols right now. <laughs> you could. And a lot of them did. So, so many, many did. Bands. I mean, I liked the Sex Pistols <laughs> record, but come on. Yeah. That was my um, pitch to try to convince Daniel to join me at Stiff Little Fingers next month. Come see Stiff Little Fingers. Why? Because you ain't never going to see Clash again. The Sex Pistols sucked, and Paul Weller doesn't make punk rock anymore. That's like if you're into grunge <laughs> music. Where's Eddie Vedder? Because he's your last hole. It's all form a protective circle around him. Make sure he's okay. But yeah, this was... It doesn't actually surprise me that much that this is mostly a studio beast. Because there is a lot happening here. Like, it's it's the kind of music where there are always more layers, no matter how many layers you pull off. And everything is really intricate and detail-oriented in a way that reveals itself to you over the course of multiple listens without ever seeming busy as it does so. Yeah, it still manages in all of its glitchy glory to be sparse. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's haunting in moments. Yeah, yeah, well said. Well said. Which I guess that's that's 45 minutes. That's the amount of time that these things usually take to record. So I am to answer three questions. Absolutely going to listen to this record more often. I am 100% going to explore their SoundCloud and get into SoundCloud-based musicians. And we're going to close out tonight, I think, on National Hotel. It's great. It's a gooder. The whole record's good. They're a good band. People at home, listen to them. This has been the Soundtrack to a Life. Follow us along on Facebook and Twitter at SoundtrackCast. Uh, we are at SoundtrackCast.com. Like us, rate us, share us, review us, tell your friends about it. Members of Photomore, if you're listening, Thanks for making this record. This was a nice dream. National Hotel. Snow too deep to wear.